moving right along from there. So good morning and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and uh, where we believe a church alive is worth a drive, whether you've come from Canberra or whether you've come from Mount Isa or wherever you've come from today, you're very, very welcome. Anita's come out from mustering for a season out there, so it's great to have you here today, Anita. So, but this morning I'd like to share about a mystery revealed. Who likes a mystery? Or oh, who likes a mystery? Oh, there's a couple of amens. And, uh, but um, just as an introduction this morning, I just wanted to lay a foundation. I won't be speaking long this morning. And you go, hallelujah to that, Jeff. Hallelujah to that. But I got a nod over here. Thank you for that nod. And, uh, but from the Tower of Babel, uh, as we know, came forth 70 nations. And the Bible lists those nations. And, uh, and that, from that from that nation came a man. And, uh, and he was called to a promised land. And you think, well, can one man make a difference? Well, Abraham was that man. And he believed it to be so. And from that man, Abraham, God built a nation that would be separate from all others and uh, that would become eventually the Jewish people. We know that they went into captivity for 430 years in Egypt. And uh, I would just like to read Genesis chapter 12. And speaking of that nation and people group, and the Lord said to Abram, as he was known by at that stage, he said, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Listen to this verse here because it rings true to this very, very day. Even though this was thousands of years ago, some 4,000 years ago in fact, he says, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families. The Hebrew word there is mishpacha, means families. Some people translate it nations. And all the earth shall be blessed. So through you, through your line, through this Jewish people that I will build through Abraham, God would bless the nations of the earth. And so it has been to this very day. Although the Jewish people only comprise of a minute percentage of the world, the blessings that they have brought to the nations of the earth is amazing, astronomical in fact, and it's beyond human reasoning that it could be by accident. But before the giving of the commandments, I'd like to go to Exodus 19. I'm laying a little bit of a foundation here before I move on. And uh, Exodus 19 and verses 4 to 6. And you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, this is God speaking, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my uh, a covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. Listen to that. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You will be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. A special treasure to me above all peoples. And in Psalm 106, I'll go there now, continuing to set a foundation here. Psalm 106. And there it says there in verse 23... Therefore he said to them he would not destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one 
stood before him in the breach. So we understand that there's a chosen people and there are chosen people, at, uh, individuals at times, to, who would be deliverers. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach. And in verse 47 of the same, far, uh, of the same psalm, it says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles, among the heathens, to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. And so throughout the whole of the Old Testament, that word Gentiles in the Hebrew is the word goyim. And uh, it says, gather or save us from the, among the nations and the heathen peoples of the earth. So, but not just Moses being his chosen one, but the whole people group were to be a chosen people and a special treasure. I want to say to you today that you are a special treasure. Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, you're a special treasure. Oh, look at that. Husbands and wives, isn't that lovely? You're a special treasure. Jules, you're a special treasure. Eh? But the Jewish people were not just merely one more nation, but a people uniquely known as the Lord's inheritance. And we've come to understand that. And they had been, in this psalm, they had already been in Babylonian captivity, and they were now scattered throughout the whole of the Middle East. And uh, in Psalm 106, was they were crying to gather us from among the Gentiles. The Old Testament refers to two types of people, that being the Jew and that being the Gentiles, two types of people. But after the Gospel accounts of the New Testament things began to refer to a third group of people as part of an unveiling of God's plan or a mystery. And the mystery is this third group of people that God would reveal to to his people, to his own, uh, and it would be revealed as in all prophecy in the fullness of time. Say that to the person next to you, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God reveals his plans. In the fullness of time, God reveals his purposes. And things from the outset, from the outset, God says, uh, uh, he was revealed himself, I am uh, the God who created all things in Genesis chapter 1. But throughout, we talk about the progressive revelation of God. And so things are progressive. God does not reveal his whole self to all of humankind in an instant in time but it's occurred and happened progressively over thousands of years. So who likes the unveiling of a mystery, something that has been long kept secret, but now in the fullness of time being revealed? And Jules and I have got Hercule Poirot's, I can't even say that word, I've never been able to say it, Poirot, Poirot, and, uh, and uh, there's murder mysteries. Who's, who's ever watched Hercule Poirot or Sherlock Holmes? What about Mrs. the Mrs. Marple classics? Oh, isn't she wonderful? Oh, Miss Marple, sorry, I'm, I'm corrected here. <laughs> and where the per- in those types of shows, the heinous crime and, and the person who conducted those heinous crimes, it's a mystery for the whole of the show, but it's only revealed in the very, very last section of the last chapter of the whole of the show. That's true, isn't it? And sometimes I understand how Hercule does it. Sometimes I'm still none the wiser. Who's a bit like that? 
I got one game person who put up their hand and they go, well, I still don't get it. But anyway, it's very entertaining though, isn't it? And so God is no difference. He can, is very entertaining. And people are anticipating. There is always an anticipation with God. For thousands of years, it was an anticipated Messiah that one day born amongst them would come a deliverer. They waited thousands of years. And when he finally arrived, they didn't recognize him. Amen? How good was that? But the English word for mystery in the New Testament, it comes from the Greek word mysterion, which means a sacred secret. So there was a sacred secret that predated time to be revealed in its right time. And the Bible speaks often in talking about the dispensations of time, about it being revealed in the fullness of time. And so there are several of God's plans which have been called or identified as mysteries. There is the mystery of the kingdom of God. Who's heard about that? And we read about it in Mark 4 and Luke 8. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That was Jesus speaking. There's the mystery of Israel. And uh, in Romans chapter 11, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. I'm going to come back to Romans chapter 11 a little later. In 2 Thessalonians, there's the mystery of lawlessness which is at work, and he would, and the person who would be the lawless one would be revealed, who hasn't even been revealed to us this, at this time now. Some people have an idea who the Antichrist might be or the lawless one, but it's still guesswork and yet to still be revealed. There is a mystery of the catching away of the body of Christ, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But, as, but by far the greatest mystery revealed in the New Testament is the mystery of the church that would only be revealed, that is the ecclesia or the called out ones. That has only been revealed to all of humanity in the last 2,000 years. Amen? Prior to that, nobody knew what the church was and nobody could understand it when it came about, how it could come about. So how could this third group of people come about anyway? I remember uh, when I was in Israel, you walked in about 200 metres from the Jaffa Gate, an old sandstone gate, and there is the first Presbyterian church called the Christ Church. That's what it's called, Christ Church. And in that old building, uh, there is a stained glass window, and it shows an unusual image of a tree with a branch cut off. And you think, what an unusual window to have in the oldest Presbyterian church in the edge of Israel there inside the Jaffa Gate. I'd like now to go to Romans chapter uh, 11, if we could, and I'll cover some of that ground. Uh, I don't intend to cover it all, but just give you an inkling, so for further reading, you could do it yourself. But uh, I pray that it will give a greater understanding to you of what they're speaking about here. And the footnote there is, Israel rejection is not total. So then has God cast away his people? This is this people who were supposed to be a special people, the Jewish people. And here we are now in New Testament times, and there has come about a new thing called the church. And it's only just been revealed to Paul some 17 years after Christ rose from the dead. So it didn't even immediately come about and nor was it initially understood 
And uh, for I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. This is Paul speaking. And so, uh, and it says, uh, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, The Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Of course, Elijah wasn't the only one. There were 6,000 others. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In verse 8, it says God has given them a spirit of stupor. And it was to the Jewish people at this time because Christ had come amongst them, yet they didn't recognize him. And so, as it were, there was a cutting off of the Jewish people to this very day, 2,000 years later. And so, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. I hope you bear with me just for a little while longer because this will give you great understanding. I say then, have they stumbled and should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And it says, now if their fall is riches for the world, you see, their fall has made provision for the nations of the earth to receive salvation. You will treat Israel and the Jewish people very, very differently when you understand this one chapter in this whole of the Bible. You will not treat Jewish people the same again. And he says, uh, how much more their fullness. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, that's us. We have been enriched because they have fallen. How much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Listen to this. In verse 15 to 17 will explain the image on that glass window in that old church. For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world... What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, that's the Jewish people, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do you understand what has happened here? There was this wonderful branch called this Jewish nation and people. A branch was cut off, which was depicted on that stained glass window in that old church, so that you and I, the nations of the earth, could be grafted in. That was only made possible in the fullness of time by God himself. You understand that this was not initially, very few people have a full understanding of this, but the church at that time was a brand new entity and the Jewish people could not understand it. They had been brought up for more than 2,000 years under the law of Moses, believing that they were this peculiar, special people 
brought out from the, all the other heathen nations of the earth to be a separate and precious and treasured possession of God himself alone. But now, Jesus having come in, the Jewish people uh, re rejected Christ. They then became a tree that was cut off, that you and I, the church, would be grafted in. So it is no longer just the Jew and Gentile, but now Jew and Gentile and the nations or the Greeks of the earth. Can you understand what I'm saying now? And it will give you a greater clarity when you read all of God's word. God has, the, the, there is something out there which has been in particularly the last 100 to 150 years or even longer. And it's a thing called replacement theology that has caused great grief upon the earth and also led to the Holocaust. The incorrect assumption that now the church replaces Israel and the future that God had for this nation, which now be fully fulfilled in this new body called the church, is wrong. You see, God has a plan for the nation of Israel to this very day. And we have not replaced Israel. And it is absolutely wrong doctrine to think so. But it is still common throughout, more, it's very common throughout all the earth today. God has, God is, and God will always have a special place for the land of Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, Israel is the time clock for the earth and its people and will always be the apple of his eye. Who likes being poked in the, in the eye with a blunt stick? Is that, I don't see that hand. I don't see that hand. What happens when you uh, cause grief to the Jewish people or to the land of Israel? It's like grabbing a blunt stick and sticking it in the eye of God. Because they are the apple of his eye. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You can have a look. I love history. I don't pretend to know a lot about history, but I have a great interest in history. But you can, through that one scripture of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, look at the rise and falls of all civilizations on the earth through the way that that nation treated the land Israel and his people. And you can say, why did that civilization come to an end? I read another one. I saw a, a, a doco yesterday. I only watched it for about 30 seconds. It says, those civilizations came to an end because of environmental reasons, because of global warming and all the rest of it. They've infiltrated all of history now with this doctrine and religion of global warming. And everything is seen through the lens of environmental things. We know that there are other reasons for the rise and falls of all civilizations. I'd like to go now to 1 Corinthians 10.32. And uh, an interpretation of the Bible is done in some, some different ways. But this will help us all in interpreting all of our end-time theology and much of the New Testament. And it reads like this. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And he says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. And there you see the word there, Greeks there, um, they use, Paul used. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And, uh, and he used that word because uh, all of the civilizations surrounding the whole of the Middle East, the whole of the ex-Persian Empire, 
was now Hellenized by Alexander the Great. Who remembers Alexander the Great? And so the Hellenization is the Greekization, for want of a better word, culture, religion, and gods, and writing, and all those sorts of things. It was a Hellenization of the entire civilization, or even the Roman world was greatly just Hellenized. And so it was unified under a form of thinking and culture. And so Paul uses that word there, the Greeks, but what really uh, the Hebrew word there or the equivalent would be nations, the Jews, the nations, and the church. And so there is a great scripture in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth is what we're all called to be. When we read the word of God, we need a proper understanding And one of those ways is your end-time understanding of Scripture will become vastly more clear when we understand that Scripture speaks to all these three separate individual groups in Scripture. The Scripture will speak to the Jews, the nations, or the church. And so sometimes we interpret Scripture and say, oh, this is what it says here. And we cherry-pick Scriptures out of context. At times, God is speaking to the Jews, sometimes he's speaking to the nations, and sometimes he's specifically speaking to the church alone. Not all scripture is about the church, but all scripture is for the church. Does that make sense? Doesn't that make sense now? So when you're reading a scripture, think about who is the person here writing God through the Holy Spirit, through that person, writing to? Is he writing to us? Is he writing to the church? Is he writing to the Old Testament Jewish mindset? or to the nations of the earth who don't even know God? And so the first question to ask ourselves when reading is, which people group is Scripture addressing in this passage? And your end-time theology then will begin to fall into line. Who's read the book of Revelations and thought, my goodness gracious me? (laughs) We all do at times, don't we? And we need all the help we can get. But one of these keys here is, Is the person speaking in Scripture to the Jews, the nations, or the church? Makes sense, doesn't it? Paul uses the word Greeks here because of Alexander the Great brought the whole Gentile world into Hellenization Greek culture. So the New Testament brought about an unveiling of a new group of people which God had ordained before the foundation of the earth. This is not just something new that God thought up, just, oh, I'll have to think about something here. No, before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan. And this new group would be called the church, the the ecclesia, or the called out ones. And so in Colossians 3.11, and I like to use this because of our identity is in Christ, amen? And here Paul is speaking to the Colossians. He says, where there is neither Greek, that means nations, nor Jew, circumcised, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God elects, so you and I are elected, holy and beloved. Galatians 3, uh, let's go quickly to Galatians 3 because it goes on from there and reiterates exactly what I'm speaking about there. You might want to get the go to the podcast and listen to this again because it will definitely help you in your understanding. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's our 
That's our identity. And when all the uh, writings of Paul, he doesn't address the people group, he addresses those who are in Christ. So first and foremost, our identity, I'm not known as a Dutchman, I'm known as the first Jeff Brockman in Christ. Amen? That's, that's where my identity lays. Everything else is temporal. And so for as many of you who were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew, this is it, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See there? That's our identity, being in Christ. And the ecclesia, the called out ones, adopted into this new body called the body of Christ. It's good stuff. Your end time understanding now is vast, will be vastly different when you read the Bible. And so... Every book of the Bible is for the church, but every book is not about the church. And the Bible, and the part of the Bible that is to, for, and about the, about the church is the New Testament, amen? People exclude nearly all of the Old Testament these days. But I know in the book of Acts, when they read the Scriptures, they read only the Old Testament, because that's all they had. And so I don't disregard the old, but I see the old in light of the new. Or through the lens of the New Testament, I read the Old Testament. Amen? I don't just disregard it. No. I read the Old Testament in light or the lens of the New. Through the resurrected person of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Ephesians talks about the revealing of this great mystery and this new body called the Ecclesia, the called out ones. But can you see the confusion that the early Jewish people must have had when they thought they were separated people, they had to be separated from all the nations of the earth, and now the nations of the earth were coming into their own synagogues. Can you see the confusion that the people had? For 2,000 years, they had more, or even more, they had the law. And, uh, and so uh, it wasn't straightforward. It was a process that the people had to work through. And so um, Romans 11 then Israel was cut off that salvation could come to the Gentiles. And so from the, in a, in a broader context, uh, there were the 70 nations. Out of the 70 nations came Abraham. Out of Abraham came Israel. Out of Israel was born Jesus the Christ. And now Jesus the Christ was now saviour again to the nations. It had come full circle. God had brought that man out of the nations of the earth brought and grew a people out of that group. Jesus was born to that, uh, that body or that nation of the Jewish people and now Jesus would be saviour not only to the Jewish people but to all the nations of the earth. Can you understand? It's progressive revelation and it wasn't easy in the people of the day. You can say, why didn't the people see it? It's so easy for us to see. Why couldn't they see it? Here we can get a, a little bit of a glimpse of the mindset which they were stuck in. They were in a hole. So Israel is cut off that we would be grafted in. Uh, Romans 11, 20, uh, 25 says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's called the mystery. And we know that this mystery that he's talking about is actually the church, which was the greatest mystery in the beginning of the New Testament. The fact that the church would have Jews and Gentiles in it, this new body wasn't easily grasped in the mind of the people of the day. 
And not even was it in the, with the apostles. Remember Paul or Peter went to Cornelius' home and he had to, and they called him to account and they said, you went into the home of a Gentile? What were you thinking? There was no understanding that the Gentiles now would be brought into salvation through the person of Jesus Christ to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who the Jewish people had served for a couple of thousand years now. So a calling out of a religious congregation, a community of members on earth or saints in heaven or both. And that was the ecclesia. And so what is this cutting off so that another branch should be grafted in and that we, this new entity, which up until this point of time is called a mystery. It was just a great mystery. Nobody understood this whole idea of what the church was. I was at a Hebrew school for a couple of weeks when I was in Israel, and uh, my teacher was a young lady named Moore, and uh, she asked what I was doing over the weekend, and at that time, I, was, uh, I had uh, become part of the Feast of Tabernacles celebration, and some here may have been to that as well. Wonderful thing. And she said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to the En Gedi. The En Gedi is right beside the Red Sea. The Red Sea is in front of you. There's a few palm trees and so forth. And in the backdrop is Jordan, basically just over the river. And we'd come, and I'd said to her, I said, I have come to your country to worship with guitars and drums, your God and my God, on the shores of your Dead Sea. And I could see in her that Paul talks about a provoking to jealousy. And see, and the people there, the Jewish people, they love God. They love God. But, they're, but they only worship God in an orthodox, very formal, very traditional, and very stern way. And I respect the way that they, uh, they worship God. But at the same time, I could see that the book of Galatians talks about a liberty in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And there is no liberty in their knowledge of God. And I could see a yearning in her, she says, and I could see it in her. And she says, we have nothing like that. And there was almost a frustration and a shaking in her hand. She says, we have nothing like that. And there was a jealousy I could see because along the En Gedi, along the shores of the Dead Sea, this magnificent stage was set up. The Jordan Mountains with the backdrop and the sunset, it was glorious. The Dead Sea just there, the palm trees all around us. Behind us was the, was the wilderness of Israel. It was a glorious place. And there, all the nations of the earth at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was about five or 6,000 of us, were just praising God at the shores of the Dead Sea. And I was describing this scene to my teacher in Hebrew, young lady, and she says, I said, oh, you should come. She says, oh, I cannot, I'm Jewish. And I said, so is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was Jewish. But the whole of the new church was Jewish. The whole of the new church, the book of Acts church, they were all Jewish. But they had to come to this glorious understanding that now the nations of the earth we're no longer this heathen thing to be held at a distance with a stick, but now they're to be welcomed in, and we too with them would worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the resurrection power of the cross and the person of Jesus Christ. You can understand now that this church thing is not just a simple thing. We think, we just take it for granted. 
We go to the Refidex or go onto our little iPad, iPhoney things and look up churches that I can visit while I'm in Charters Towers. And there's a list of churches I can go to anyone I want. Just waltz in. But there's a price being paid. And it's a wonderful privilege to have a church. A wonderful privilege. And, the, and, uh, and Jesus in the book of Revelations gives us a stern warning about a lukewarm church. He says, take care with your, with, your, uh, with your lukewarmness. He says, otherwise I will take away your lampstand. And the lampstand we know is the church. And the very, very churches in the book in, in, uh, in the country of Turkey... The seven letters in the book of Revelation are all addressed to seven churches in Turkey and all their lampstands were removed. You think it can't happen to us? We think somehow that, oh, it will always have... We don't see it as a privilege to be able to come to church or to attend church. And it's, and it, and it's not made more real than by the attendance. People come every second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh week. It doesn't matter. There's no, I think, I think one of the greatest things we could adopt here in the house is, I will see you next week. Amen? We shouldn't take for granted that we actually have a church to come to or to go to. And so, but Moore said, we don't have anything like that. She said, I'm Jewish. But I said to her, so was Jesus. And in fact... More Jewish people have come to faith in the last five years than they have in the last 2,000 years. More Jewish people have come to faith in Jesus Christ in the last five years than there has in 2,000 years. When I went there, there was even a debate again in Parliament only two weeks ago in Israel about forbidding evangelical Christians from speaking the name of Jesus in Israel. That was only two or three weeks ago, amen? Only two or three weeks ago. We forbid you to speak in that name was the word that they gave to the apostles before they beat up on them again. That's true, isn't it? And it still is to this day. I have visited a couple of churches while I was there, but it was not easy, not in Jerusalem. And in the far distant area of the, uh, uh, of the commercial area where you find all the warehouses and so forth, on about the top floor of a car park was an enclosed car park area and it looked like an old car park. And you, you had to go up a set of lifts where, and then it was cut off and then you had to go up by stairs. So it was difficult to go to. And I was taken to that church. It wasn't church time or anything, but just so that I could see it. And it was a church, a Bible-believing, Jesus-believing church in the middle of Jerusalem, in the backwaters of a commercial area, high up on the car park lot, all beautifully built in once you got past the walkways, but basically they still met in private. Amen? We take it for granted that we can just come to church, but we should not. We should not. And um, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When Jesus spoke these words, the apostles at the time didn't even know what he was talking about. They had no revelation that the church would include all these Gentile, heathen, unbelieving barbarians all around them. It's a wonderful thing, this body called the church. 
And I enjoyed, I mean, the Feast of Tabernacles, we had five to 6,000, I think it was about 6,000 people from every tribe and nation were there. And we were just all worshipping God. It was a glorious thing. And to me, it was probably the closest thing to heaven because of the number of nations that were there. And so when Jesus said there was no revelation as to what the church would look like, other than just a group of people. And so, um, but let's go to Ephesians now, and I'll, and I'll close fairly shortly. I always say that, trying to keep you interested. Is anybody asleep yet? Oh, that's good. And so, actually, I had it here somewhere. I can't find it. That's fantastic. Don't you love it when you just lose everything? There are actually, I haven't written down, but there are actually five references to the mystery of the church in the book of Ephesians. And really, the book of Ephesians is a story about the church. And I would encourage you now to read the book of Ephesians when you get home. There's only about six chapters, and you can read it in about half an hour or so. And it's good reading. But I'd like to create in you a thirst for reading the Bible yourself. Read it for yourself and say, now what was Pastor Jeff on about? He's always on about something, but bring a focus and begin to read it in, uh, in that manner. So in Ephesians 1 and verses 4 to 5, and we can see that, uh, let me read that. It says, just as he chose us in him, that means in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So there it says that we are chosen and that we were blameless. So out of all the nations of the earth, you have been chosen. Surely it must make you feel a little special. In addition to that, now it brings a deeper meaning to being adopted and accepted. It brings a fresh revelation from the Jewish mindset that you and I are adopted into the household of faith and we have acceptance. Prior to that, the Jewish people would have held you at arm's length and say, oh, you're not, you're not, you're not a partaker of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. No, but we have been brought in and we have been adopted and accepted. You are accepted in the beloved. Isn't it good to feel accepted? Who's ever been the new kid on the block? It's a shocking feeling sometimes, isn't it? I moved from, I was still finishing my last year of school or second last year of school. I come from a, a Catholic high school where I went down and then I came to Bowen and I went to the first public high school in my whole life. And I still had my shiny, uh, uh, beautiful black shoes on and uh, my long socks. And I walked into that school and didn't I look a yobbo? <laughs> didn't I look? North Queensland, mate. And I walked in there with my long socks and my Julius Marlowe black shoes on. I looked the absolute turkey. I walked in there. They could see me walking from a block away. I was on the outside. From the outset, I was on the outside. Wow, when I got home, I got rid of them shoes so quick. I don't care if they were Dad's good Julius Marlowe black shoes. I did not want to wear them. I was the new kid on the block, and who likes being that? You want to be accepted, don't you? Wherever we go, we want to be part of the group, amen? 
started playing footy and all that sort of stuff. And then, okay, I was in a group. And uh, that's what I wanted. I just wanted to be part of the group, you know. And so, but in Ephesians 1, 7, 11 and 13, we are forgiven, predestined and sealed. This is all part of the Ephesians things. So there we go. In the first, in the first chapter there, we're chosen, we're blameless, we're adopted, we're accepted, we're forgiven, predestined and sealed. And I'd like to draw you, and I'll close very shortly, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. And I'll read a couple of verses. And uh, a lot of people don't have an understanding of this. But it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. And in fact, in the old temple, and, uh, which Josephus describes in his historical account, there were all these different courtyards around the old temple. There was the courtyard of the Gentiles. There was a courtyard where the women could go. Then there was a courtyard where only the men could go. And then there was this courtyard and that courtyard. And then there was the area where nobody could go except the high priest. And I like the concept in that idea that every dividing wall of separation, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances to, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. No longer Jew and Gentile, but in this great body called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, you should make, you should be, we are still God's treasured possession. You should feel so treasured to be part of this group, to be part of one another. And it says, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And so this is New Testament times. So it's just not those who were in Judea, Jerusalem and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. He says to the outermost, those to the uttermost. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. It's a glorious message, this thing called the church. A glorious message. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, no longer a cockroach come to North Queensland. No, not a stranger nor foreigner, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's a glorious message to come under one body, this thing called the church. That he might present her to himself. This is still in Ephesians 5.27. To himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Before I go to the very last scripture in uh, 1 Peter 2.9, sometimes you can get hurt in church. Who knows if you don't have to be around in church that long to be hurt in church? Who could say an amen to that? But we're all called to grow in this body called the church. Jules and I, when we were away for two years, we made some really, really good friends. And they were Baptist pastors uh, from another state. And they had been incredibly hurt by the things that occurred in their own church. And the things that were said about them were horrendous. If they were to be proved in a court of law, they would have been jailed for the most heinous of crimes. But I recall him testifying one day at a men's breakfast and he said the place where I was hurt the most that was the church was also the place where I got my healing 
Can you recall some situation where the church as a body hurt you? And I think we all could say, yes, that would be true. There wouldn't be one of us who could say, oh no, the church was the most glorious experience I've ever had. But the truth is the place where you were hurt is the place where you will get your healing. And when you're standing at the great throne of judgment, on your own without Christ, can you say, Lord, I didn't serve you because your body, which you're the head of, it hurt me real bad. Jesus said, but in that same place where you were hurt, I provided for your healing. You see, the church is the answer. And so you have to think that Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the groom, the head of the church. As I've said before, have you ever gone to the to a wedding and said to the groom, I really love you, mate. I reckon you are awesome, but your bride is a dog. How long do you think you would stay in that wedding feast? Not very long. Not very long. But Jesus is the head of the church. And so we need to be very, very careful when speaking about the church and also to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Am I perfect? Gosh, no. No way in a million years. I look in the mirror and I go, oh gosh. I get them basset hound eyes and I go, Lord, you've got some work to do today. (laughs) Who's ever looked into the mirror and said, oh gosh, Lord, I'm a handful. Can anybody agree with me there? A couple humble people out there. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to finish right now. He said, Hallelujah, Jeff. And he says, But you are a chosen generation. This is almost identical to that first scripture that I read when I started in the Old Testament. When God called those Jewish people out. And he says, But you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, Dave. A holy nation, his own special. The King James Version, I like it. It says a peculiar people. We're a peculiar bunch. I know we are. We are peculiar. There's no doubt about that. But you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, let's stand to our feet today. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a peculiar bloke. Or you're a peculiar woman. I always use the the idea when people stay at home and don't come together to church and I always say you grow alone and you grow weird and we're never called to be weird we're called to be peculiar amen we are called to be a peculiar and different people yes we are different yes we are but this thing called the church is worth protecting it is worth perfect protecting and it is worth defending are we perfect absolutely not But we see each other through the lens of the blood of Jesus, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, Scythian, slave nor free, but our identity is in Christ. Amen. That is our identity, forsaking all and becoming one in Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring this beautiful body, our body, Lord, our church, Charters Towers Christian Outreach Center. I pray the blessing of heaven, Father, over every single person in this church. I know, Lord, that you are perfecting us. There is a great work to do in us and through us. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we value this thing called the church. We cherish this thing called the church. We're adopted. 
and we're accepted. We're blameless in Christ, blameless in Christ. I thank you, Father. I release every blessing, Father, today on every person, on every family. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Go around the place and give each other the biggest hug in Christ. Come on. Let's just love one another. Amen. That's what we're called to do. Go and just say, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you, sister. 